You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. Welcome to Before They Were Live, an ongoing and monthly conversation where we wander our way through the Disney animated canon in chronological order. We're doing our best to play our part in a healthy ecosystem of art, criticism, and fandom, putting things into dialogue with one another, picking through these stories in order to examine the past and understand the present. We're interested in how these movies move us and shape our imaginations. Hopefully along the way, we enrich the experience of these animated films and have some fun too. Today we're strolling into the world of the Hundred Acre Wood as we watched and we'll be discussing the 22nd film in the canon, 1977's The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh. With me as always is Dr. Michael Farmer, and the most wonderful, wonderful thing about Michael is he's the only one. Hi Josh, I'm just glad you didn't make a joke about me getting stuck in a hole. Yeah, well, uh, it was one of the major plot points of the movie and there's not many of them, so um, (laughs) I guess I could have made that joke. Um, But... Yeah, this is a uh, a movie that I don't know I don't know how to categorize it. Um, I think you said last month maybe that you don't really have a, a nostalgia for this one. You didn't watch it a lot as a kid. Is that right? I, I don't, don't know that exactly. I'd ever seen it until I was an adult. Yeah, but, you know, I knew I knew some of the the plot points. I knew that Winnie the Pooh got stuck in the hole, and I had ridden the the ride at Disney World, which, I mean, is essentially the plot of the movie, but I, I don't think I had seen this movie until I was 27, 28 years old. How about yeah. you? Um, I did watch it as a kid, and I did enjoy it as a kid, so I think um, for me, watching it now has, like, there's a um, yeah, there's a real there's a real joyfulness to this movie that I really like. I don't know where to put it as far as um, you know, it's not it's not necessarily um, super high in my, um, you know, like like best movies in the in the Disney <laughs> thing, you know, like it doesn't it doesn't jump out as one of the super top ones, but it's definitely not a bad movie at all either, you know. I really I enjoy it, and um, I really the the music I think is what makes this movie for me. I really enjoy the songs in it. Yeah, the songs are really good. I mean, everybody knows, of course, the. Uh... The title track, the, the the Winnie the Pooh title track, which um, if you ever really want to have some fun, sing the uh, sing the first verse of the Winnie the Pooh song, and then uh, start in on the third line of "It Came Upon the Midnight Clear." They fit together very very well. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll have to try that. Yeah. I think what's nice about this, the songs in this movie are they're all, um, I mean, not the title song, but the the other songs are all like attuned to a specific feeling, like the feeling of being hungry or the blustery day or the, um, uh, you know, the, the, is about being afraid. Yeah. Yeah. And so you get you, like they're, they're applicable. I mean, they're like, they're like children's songs, you know, like we all have those children's songs that we learned as a kid that stick with us forever. Um, and 
you know, <laughs> like this, 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 the songs in this movie fit that category. And so you can sing them at, you know, at the appropriate times. You what's your, what's your favorite one? In your tumbly. <clears throat> Probably the rumbly in your tumbly um, mm. is the one that's most catchy. Um, I often do say tut tut. It looks like rain, um, <laughs> which is not exactly one of the songs, but I do say that a lot. I love when the rain, rain, rain came down, 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 which I, I think is uh, probably the second best Disney song about rain after uh, Little April Showers from Bambi. Yeah, yeah, I do. I also love that one. Uh, we, there was a period in our, um, uh, I think when we had first shown this movie to our kids, um, and that movie came, or that song popped back into my life. <laughs> <laughs> that moment, you know, and I, 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 I definitely sang it a lot for for a season. So is this um, one and, your children watch a lot? Uh, no, they really haven't. And actually, they don't. They liked it. Um, I, they hadn't seen it in a long time, and so they laughed a lot through it. But my my uh, second daughter had some really funny opinions about Winnie the Pooh. She doesn't care for him as a character. <laughs> what doesn't like, she like? Yeah, I was really trying to nail her down on it. She was, you know, she was having a hard time um, explaining it to me uh, because I feel like he's very likable. But she, I, she didn't use these words. But the idea I think that I was try- that I was getting out of her was that he's a little smug and he's a little greedy, and um, she, she just didn't really care for that. Like the way that he eats all the honey in in Rabbit's house bothered her, and the way that he's always like thinking of himself. Um, she she didn't care for that. There's a really remarkable monologue where he sees the bee and he says, "Well, the only reason to be a bee is to make honey, and the only reason to make honey is for me to eat it." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he is very uh, self, you know, uh, so inward focused. I guess you know. He's not a role <laughs> model. World, that's for sure. The the world revolves around Winnie the Pooh. You know, like it it is definitely Winnie Winnie the Pooh's world. If you're Winnie the Pooh. So the other one that's funny is, to me is um, he sits down to think and uh, I forget what the narrator says, something about an important person. And he says, Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> and he does these little like his eyebrows up and down. It makes me laugh every time. <laughs> I, I'm with your daughter. I don't like him very much. Um, I find him very cutesy. Um, mm-hmm. There's a famous review of the books by Dorothy Parker where she says, uh, uh, Constant Reader was the name she wrote these book reviews under, and she said that by the end of the book, Constant Weeda threw up because it was so cute, and that that is kind of how I feel. I don't like the rumbly in my tumbly song. I find that I find that language really annoying. But I never liked the word tummy. I I I I think as a as a main character, he's weak. I think if the if the movie focused on somebody else and he was a kind of side character. I would I would be less annoyed by him, but he he's on screen nearly all the time, and uh, aside from the morality stuff, I just find him uh, I find him a little a little too much. Yeah, that's interesting. Have you read the uh, the actual source material? Like, have you read the A.A. Milne stories? I have not. Have you? Uh, I have, but it's been a it's been a long time. I remember enjoying them um, more so than the movie, I think. But you know, I like. I like the you know whimsical sort of stuff, I guess, and the uh, or I guess you called it cutesy, and so maybe maybe I like cutesy stuff. I don't know. Rumbly and my tumbly never never bothered me. And there's there's actually there's a lot of language in here that I think is really really funny. Like the uh, he says ridiculous, uh, ridiculous, say ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, ridiculous, and he says 
Uh, recognize is my really favorite. Oh, I recognize you. <laughs> I love, I love, that doesn't, like that doesn't bother me as much. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think part of it has got to be that I, I did not have a childhood experience with him, so I don't, I don't really have warm feelings about Winnie the Pooh. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. I mean, you, you watch these movies in a different state, you know, of... You know, and and that's part of why I can't separate it out and say how good is this movie actually because I do have a lot of the nostalgia factor when I watch it. Um, but there's definitely I know that you know it wasn't even I think the story is right. I I did very little research this month, but like it wasn't even written as uh, a full length movie originally, right? It was originally a, a series of shorts. That's and correct. They just and they just stitched them together. Although so, I think the idea was always that they would eventually make a full length movie out of them. Uh, okay. But, I mean, you can see that. It's very episodic. There's three shorts, and then the ending is a fourth one that was never released to theaters before the full-length movie. Yeah. And there's not really much in that fourth one, right? Is that the Christopher Robin and Winnie the Pooh? Yeah, but in some ways, the fourth one is the most interesting one, emotionally speaking, because it's all about Christopher Robin having to leave the Hundred Acre Woods because he's growing up. I mean, so in some ways, that's the weighty one, even though it's not as funny. Yeah, definitely. It's it's the there's there is a, some emotional resonance there, and definitely I, I think emotional resonance you would not get if you only watched it as a standalone. You know, the other ones you could watch as standalones, I think. Yeah, I mean, and, and people did, right? Yeah, I think the first well, one was released in 1966. So I mean, this is this is a decade's worth of material. Yeah, so. The, the so, yeah, place anyway. you really see that, I think, is the the fact that Christopher Robin's voice shifts noticeably from from segment to segment, just because the mm. the boys who play him grow up and can no longer do the voice. But it, it's really noticeable with one of them because he's British. <laughs> yeah, I did notice. I did notice a voice shift with Christopher Robin. I didn't. I didn't realize that it was over a decade of, in the making, but that that makes sense. I think the other thing that I noticed was just the there's a I don't know there's just there's a bit of a cheapness to it in the way that it's it's made you know like there's a um like when they flip through the pages like all the pages are the same you know <laughs> like it's the same page over and over and over again and um like when they land on a page then they're different you know and you kind of have a bit of like what the narrator's saying like around the picture that they come into um but I don't know there's just there's just little touches like that where you know, if it was a if it was a high budget affair, you you'd not catch things like that. You know, right? Yeah, it's it's still the uh, it's still the Xerox age of Disney. We're we're not getting out of that for a while. I this one feels less cheap to me than um, the Aristocats and even than Robin Hood. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think I think they do some interesting things, probably because uh, when each segment was design they didn't have to make a full-length movie out of it so they could spend a little bit more time on each one yeah i think say say a little more are you talking about the aesthetic of the movie itself yeah i mean there, there's it, it just it feels like there's less borrowed animation i know there's a little bit uh and it, there's some there's some interesting enough shots the the stuff with the bees in the first segment mm-hmm. uh, i think is fairly well done although i know that the the shot of the bee, the single bee entering the tree, is used over and over again. Um, I don't know. I, do do you not feel like the animation is less uh, cheap than in the last couple movies? 
Um, I think they found a nice balance on this one with uh, kind of similarly to, you know, um, when we talked about 101 Dalmatians and um, the way that by solving a problem, they created a new um, aesthetic, you know, and it really worked for that movie. And I think in this one with doing the doing the drawings kind of based on the illustrations uh, in the book really lent itself to um, it not feeling as cheap, you know, like it's kind of the, the backgrounds and stuff like they, they looked nice because they were, they were very stylish to what they were going for, you know? Um, so I, I think the, the overall aesthetic was really good. I think animation wise, um, that B sequence is really great. I think beyond that, a lot of it is very, it's very simple. I mean, it's, and not, I don't mean this in a bad way. I just mean in a, like, um, it'll be like one character on screen doing something at a time, you know, or one, uh, or very little movement, you know, like it, there, it, it just, in that way, it felt cheap. Like they're, the, you know, they're, they're telling the story with the, the least amount, um, that they, that they need to, you know? Yeah. I guess that is a, a change from Robin Hood, which is, there's so much going on at every, every point. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, th- I think it really works for the story. Um, and I think it really works for the, the tone of the movie, like it being a, a, a simpler kid movie. Like you don't, it's actually a nice, it's a nice throwback, you know, it's actually a chill, relaxed movie rather than the franticness that I think a lot of kid stuff kind of has these days, you know? Um, it's really incredibly gentle. Yes. Yeah. Gentle is a great word for it. There's no, there's no villain. Mm-hmm. Most of the problems are just kind of mishaps or misunderstandings. Yeah. Yeah, it's really um, a friend of the show, Jason Harville, uh, you know, he sent in uh, some notes on it and he, he kind of said it and like, it's kind of like it's childhood in a way, you know, like all of it is based on things that kids care about. Like, oh, I'm hungry. Oh, I'm scared. Oh, I'm, you know, like uh, I forget, you know, the other things, but um yeah, there's, is, it's 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 very childlike and, and gentle. I think is a great word for it. Well, and you, you have to imagine that it's Christopher Robin playing with these toys in his room, right? I mean, that's what that that's that's the the, the meta level of this of of this series is it's it's this is all in his imagination, and so because mm-hmm. he's gentle, the, the little stories are also gentle. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask you about the meta level stuff with it because I think there's something interesting that they're doing, um, but I don't have the language for it. So I don't know if you if you can speak to this, but like the fact that this is so deeply rooted in the not necessarily the original source material, but like the it seems like it is right because of the book. And there's so many things about the book, like um, you know, there's the and funny things, you know, like Pooh's rear end is stuck at the top of page 27 and his head is stuck in the bottom of page 29 you know stuff like that or you know when tigger bounces up the tree he says i almost bounced out of the book or um you know quick turn the page he's gonna fly clean out of the book or um or go for his whole thing of not being in the book at all you know like he's not original to the books and he just pops up and he says i'm not in the book you know (laughs) like i don't know there's there's a um and then obviously all the visuals of, you know, the pages turning and zooming in and out of the illustration. So anyway, um, enough on that about 
the fact that we're obviously rooted in watching a book. Um, but I don't know if there's anything else that you would that you had to say about that as far as like are they doing something there? Um, well, there's a, there's a kind of blurred reality between these characters as actual living beings, you know, Winnie the Pooh is a bear, Piglet's a piglet, or whatever. Um, them as stuffed animals, which you it pops up every now and then. One of the first things we see is that Winnie the Pooh has split his back, and and his fluff is coming out. Um, another thing you might notice is that when he falls from the tree, he doesn't move. He he's following the way a stuffed bear would fall, which I thought was a really nice touch. So you, you have a, a blurred reality between them as real characters, them as stuffed animals, and them as characters in the book. And then maybe you could add a fourth level of them as characters in the movie as well. So it adds a it adds a complexity to these stories that are otherwise very very simple. Um, and I found that to be probably the most appealing part of the book. I, th- I think that that meta fictional aspect is done much better than I would have expected it to be done in a movie that this is this childlike. Yeah. And I, I know I'm putting you on the spot here, but does that like that style, you know, of this like layer upon layer upon layer, is that something that's, you know, um, you know, unique to the sixties and seventies? Like, is that something like, are they doing something um, unexpected there? Or is that, you know, is that just normal? <laughs> it, I, it would certainly be unexpected for a children's movie. The sixties and seventies do feature the rise of, of really self-consciously fictional fiction. Um, most famously, John Barth has a book called Lost in the Funhouse, which is a series of short stories that all engage with their status as short stories in various ways. So um, there's one called Title, where it's clearly a, uh, an author attempting to write a story, but he doesn't know what to write. So he, he leaves a kind of Mad Libs quality where he can go back in and add the adjectives and adverbs, um, and things like that. There's characters who know they're part of a story and things like that. So I, I it, it's not like that never existed before the 60s and 70s, but the 60s and 70s are kind of the golden age of metafiction. I, I would not have expected it in the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh, however. And I mean, all of the movies, not all of them, but most of the movies have opened with a book because just just demonstrating that it's coming from a source material. So to some extent, all the way back to Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, they they are um, they're they're acknowledging their status as fiction. But I don't think anything we've seen has done it nearly as much as this one has, or as uh, as creatively and and kind of joyously. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I think the the closest we've seen, well, in Robin Hood, um, we get, you know, the uh, at the very beginning. I mean, it's it's more than just the open on the book because we also get the rooster like hanging out in the O of the Once Upon a Time, right? That's right yeah. But that's but that's but that's it, which is you know minuscule compared to the stuff they're doing in this one. And then I feel like with uh, didn't wasn't there one with uh, Jiminy Cricket not. Not Pinocchio, but the yeah, other one where he's like Yeah, it's fun and fancy host. free. I can't remember, though, if he actually pulls out a book or goes into a book. or. I don't think he ever enters now. the pages of the book. I think he just looks at a book. Yeah, that's maybe true. that's what it was. Yeah. But and certainly remember, nothing as much as this one. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is yeah. I'm I'm agreeing with you that we're at a different level, but I, I do think it's fun to to pull those threads together when we have the opportunity to, because we are watching them in close proximity, you know. Oh, like absolutely. To, to, yeah. to see how the book, you know, the the opening on the book has evolved from merely that into this whole thing where, um, you know, at this, you know, Tigger slides down the letters of the <laughs> the book at one point, and uh, um, you know, when the rain comes in, it it floods out the letters as well, and yeah, so yeah, they, they really, I, they really did a great job with that. It's very, uh, it's very creative. The other thing I'll point out about the opening is it's, it's not just that it opens with a book; it opens with what I take to be Christopher Robin's room in live action. So you see Winnie the Pooh as a stuffed bear before you see him as a cartoon character. Which, again, there's all these layers to uh, the reality of the of the story, and the movie's very good at calling attention to them in flashy. Uh, fun ways yeah i think it's 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 really it's really nice i was going to ask you about the room too i don't want to um <laughs> i know that part of our show here is overthinking things um <laughs> but uh that kind of um is the room itself like uh you know he says this could this could be the the room of any small boy but like it's it's obviously very i don't know like suburban <laughs> or something you know like uh I, d- I didn't know if there was anything there about that about you know like the disney the disney vision of the world you know the world as it should be the the idealism of it that that comes through even in those in those small moments and it's it's it wouldn't have been as surprising to see that in the 40s or the 50s but by 1977 you know things are changing in american culture and this 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 movie doesn't really engage with those things which i mean do you want it to um but it is it is striking the, the that nostalgic quality here that that opening does feel like it belongs more in one of the earlier movies than this one and i think you'll really see that when compared to the rescuers um next month which is a very very modern movie modern in 1977 not modern in 2019 obviously yeah well i'm glad i asked the question then because that'll make a good uh uh point of of contrast um i did hesitate to ask it simply because of what you just said there the uh do you really want it to engage with those things like no i don't you know like the movie is good as it is it does it doesn't need to engage on every level you know i just um disney goes back and forth disney goes back and forth probably from this point on in terms of being just nostalgia and actually engaging with modern issues so you get a movie like oliver and company which you know we'll talk about probably next year sometime uh and oliver and company is very very modern very urban um and it you know it's a sanitized version of new york city but it it does take stock of things that are happening in the world in 1988 i think is when that movie comes out in a way that winnie the pooh just doesn't but winnie the pooh has source material that's i was going to say older than oliver and companies but it's not oliver and company is a retelling of oliver twist um it's set in an era that's very different than when it comes out, and I think that's I think that's important to keep in mind. I think the source material in the in that case at least is also doing different things, right? Like because Oliver Twist is also dealing with the social things at the time, right? Um, yeah. At the, like the source material is, whereas the you know these books by A. A. Milne are you know they're dealing with childhood. And kind of an idyllic sort of childhood. There's an escapist um, <clears throat> element to Winnie the Pooh that's not present in a lot of these other movies. And that, that's why I think that last 
segment is so interesting because he's essentially realized that as an adult he has to care about the things that you don't care about when you're a child. And part of that is you no longer care about the things you did care about when you were a child. Yeah. And actually, Josh, I broke our rule. I didn't realize I was breaking it. We watched the live-action movie Christopher Robin, which I thought was a biography of A.A. Milne. Um, I think there was another... There was another live action movie that was a biography of A.A. Milne, but this one actually is a sequel to The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh that's live action. And, you know, I thought that movie did a fairly good job of dealing with that issue. What, what does it mean for Christopher Robin to grow up and kind of lose his connection to all of these characters? Lose his connection to his own imagination. Does that does that movie count? I mean, it is a different story. It's a sequel. It's not a just a retelling. I I felt bad about watching it, but I didn't realize <laughs> until we were about forty five minutes in that oh, this is not a biography of A. Milne at all. Because <laughs> I'm an idiot. <laughs> oh man, that's great. No, yeah, Victoria um, tricked yeah. me into watching it. The woman you put here for me gave to me, and I ate. <laughs> Yeah, um, I don't think we have hard and fast rules on these things, really. I mean, because even you know, uh, we I think we we um, we were kind of hard on Maleficent. Which did did either of us watch that one? I remember I if either of us. Have, yeah, I haven't seen it either. But we were hard on like even the idea of it, right? Even though that one's not that's also not a a remake per se, but it is. It's it's cashing in on the um uh, on the animated stuff i don't know i yeah we don't need to get in a whole thing about like why we named our uh show before they were live but there i think there you said it really well one time about like if they had any respect for their history they wouldn't be making some of the decisions that they're making now and that's really i don't know that just it's how it feels to me like it feels like there'd be a more respectful way that they could they could honor what was in the past rather than like it feels like cash grabs you know um well that movie felt much less like that to me i mean I, i think that movie is a is an adult movie in a way that the the cartoons are not but it's also i mean it's not an adult movie in the sense that it's super dark it it actually reminded me quite a bit of the new mary poppins returns if you've seen that yeah yeah it reminded me i mean i didn't watch it the trailer reminded me of um like uh what saving saving mr banks yes like a little bit in that in that vein um I, I, will, I will say I do not think Christopher Robin is a great movie, um, but it is it is at least trying to do something interesting. Yeah, I think that's it. Trying to do something interesting, it, I like that better than cash grab because obviously Disney's not cash grabbing. Like they they're they have more money than any other. You know they have more money than countries, so they're not cash grabbing. Like that's that's the wrong word for it. But they are uh, not always. Um, doing something interesting like for example this new lion king is it even out yet i don't even know um no aladdin but, just but, came out and made right. uh a billion dollars yeah but in no way like i think the lion the the reason i want to mention lion king is because in no way is that movie live action in any sense of the word right like it is photorealistic uh animation <laughs> you know but it's not like you know, like so, it's shot as though it's live action, from what I can tell from the trailers, um, and have not seen it. But and 
you know, my understanding is it's basically the same story that we know, you know? And so like, to me, like it's doing something interesting is like, oh, we have this technology where we can actually make animals that, and we can shoot them as though they're real, even though they're, they're completely animated. Um, so it looks live action. Um, so tell a story, you know, tell a story that, that requires that, or that, that, you know, going back to the 101 Dalmatians thing, I know I, I, it seemed I I know I just keep hammering on this nail, but like that was solving a problem, you know. Like, what problem are you solving that creates this this new thing that's interesting in the world, you know? No, um, no. The problem they're solving is we're afraid that if we make a different movie, people won't go see it, and we know that people will go see these live action versions. And I mean, Bob Iger, the head of the CEO of Disney, has said that in almost those words. I mean, he he said essentially that Disney's not going to make. Um, m- small movies anymore. It's just going to be remakes of uh, old properties and Marvel movies. And, you know, I like the Marvel movies a lot, but I would prefer that Disney made at least a few movies that tried to do something that wasn't bound immediately to a pre-existing property. I mean, if you, even if you look at the new um, the new cartoons, they're, they're largely retreads of previous cartoons. So you had uh, Ralph Breaks the Internet, which I heard good things about, but I didn't see. Uh, you had The Incredibles 2. Uh, Frozen 2 is coming out. I, I mean, there's an awful lot of there's an awful lot of low-risk stuff coming out of Disney right now. Yeah, and I think I think that's the the thing that's the thing that's sad about that is is you know like. For me, at least, you know what I want is I want some something that surprises me, you know, or something that takes me. Um, I don't know, like I, I mean, to, to go back to the Winnie the Pooh, like we were just talking about, you know, like it was surprising to you the level of complexity that they put in there on, you know, like uh, with the book and stuff. Um, I think when when you're just retreading and you're taking low risks, like then then when does that happen you know like when do those surprises show up again so. yeah I, I mean I, I i know that all we do on this show is complain about the live action movies but i i really do think they're symptomatic of a certain exhaustion at that studio uh, and it, it's it's depressing in some ways to watch these older movies and see them take risks that i, I don't know that we're seeing them take right now no, I mean, it's yeah. not like they haven't taken a risk in 50 years because I think Wreck-It Ralph, the original one, was actually a, a, a very interesting idea that I think probably was kind of a gamble for the studio. But I, I don't know when Bob Iger took over the studio. Let me, I'm looking that up. 2005. So, I mean, maybe I can't blame everything on Bob Iger. But it, 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 does, it does seem like he is aggressively unimaginative and you see the same things happening at the resorts there's very little coming up at the resorts that isn't connected to some pre-existing property which is not the way that's always been uh, even under michael eisner who was very controversial uh they they did some new things and i i, I feel like mostly what what's happening in the parks under Iger is just uh, oh let's bring in star wars let's bring in avatar um, let's let's put let's put Frozen in uh, Epcot's World Showcase because we know people will want to see it. I I, I don't know. I, it's depressing. And again, Winnie the Pooh is not my favorite movie, but I, I think they're I think they're at least trying to do something interesting and original in it. 
in a way that I, I just I don't know that we're going to see for a while from Disney. Yeah. So, I mean, but yeah, I mean, like you said, there's Wreck-It Ralph was out there. And so, I mean, there's I mean, Big Hero 6, I think, in some ways was was, you know, uh quite different as a movie than what we've seen from from disney animation so it's not or even across... zootopia or moana so i mean i guess the only movie that's currently out that i'm complaining about is ralph breaks the internet and again i heard good things about it what i'm really what i'm really responding to is, is statements that Iger has made so yeah I, I worry about what the future of the studio is going to look like rather than um what it's looked like the last few years yeah and i think it but i think it's it is a valid point i so far the the animation the animation has seemed to be somewhat of a bastion against some of that whereas the live action is is where you're seeing the you know the the major like yeah let's not take any risks <laughs> you know like let's just do let's just do jungle book again you know let's mm-hmm. just do um whatever aladdin you know like um yeah so yeah i think that's what we're we're both responding to Man Aladdin looked like a garbage dump. <laughs> yeah, I'm, it's it's so easy to avoid things on this side of the world. So I, yeah, I'm I, I find myself very fortunate in that way. Like I do, I I have some idea of what's going on, but for the most part, like yeah, just it's much easier to avoid a lot of that stuff. So I wonder if when they run out of live action movies to make they'll go back and make cartoons out of the live action versions of the cartoons <laughs> how, how deep can that rabbit hole go yeah that's that's a fun idea and so in desperation, a message he did write. Help, Piglet, me. He placed it in a bottle, and it blew it out of sight. And the rain, rain, rain came down, 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 so Piglet started failing. He was unaware atop his chair while bailing, he was sailing. And the rain, rain, rain came down, 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 and the flood rose up, 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 up. Who drew us caught, and so he thought, I must rescue my supper. Ten honey pots he rescued, enough to see him through. As he sopped up his supper, So, um, in our first, our first sort of... Uh, vignette, I guess, of what we see is we see Winnie the Pooh trying to get. Well, I guess the first thing is the bees, right? Um, which we talked a little bit about. But um, uh, do you have anything more that you wanted to say on the bee sequence, or should we move on to to Pooh going and bothering Rabbit? Yeah, let's talk about Pooh and Rabbit because uh, this is this is where Winnie the Pooh really becomes an unattractive character, I think. <laughs> yeah. So there's a couple interesting things in here. So first of all, you you were talking about um, earlier that you know this, these are stuffed animals at play, but the two um, that are not are rabbit and owl, um, and the gopher, I guess. You know. Um, so he goes over to rabbit's house. And rabbit is is based on more of a real rabbit, um, but obviously still very you know, still very playful. He, he gardens and, you know, he's, he has a home with a, 
table and flowers and stuff like that. So, um, but I think it's, uh, I think there's a really interesting sort of commentary going on here about like the, the power of social graces and people who can subvert them, you know? Um, Rabbit is helpless to defend (laughs) his home against Pooh because he wants to be polite. Yeah. Yeah. The, the power of politeness and we'll see it again, actually, uh, closer to the end of the movie with once um, Eeyore is giving away Piglet's uh, house. Um, we'll see it in a slightly different way where everybody knows, but they don't want to, they don't, I guess they don't want to upset Eeyore at that point. But anyway, we'll get there. When I mean, we get there, honestly but. though, isn't Eeyore always <laughs> hanging on the ledge of suicide? <laughs> yeah. So maybe it's not just politeness and social grace at that point. Anyway, <laughs> That was so dark, Michael. Um, yeah, so uh, he goes over to Rabbit's house and he knows he knows exactly what he could say in order to get Rabbit, or he knows exactly what Rabbit will have to say, right? Like in this situation, if I show up, Rabbit's going to have to say, um, how about lunch? And the, of course, Rabbit does. And so, um, yeah. Yeah, even though it. like if, if Winnie the Pooh was capable or interested in reading social cues, uh, and and my my theory is he knows exactly what's happening and he's just being a jerk. I mean he would he would be able to tell that Rabbit is not at all interested in having him for lunch. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. So you're right. There's there's something very unattractive about Pooh in that in that moment. It's a bit of a. Uh, gosh, it's almost like sociopathic, right? When you when you can read the situation, but you purposely still go against it. I don't know. But it's, it's also very childlike, right? I mean, he's, yeah, he's acting a, the way a five-year-old you, Michael. would act. Yeah. No, thank you. That's a, that's a much nicer way to put it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess kids are, uh, yeah, kids are kids. And I mean, all the animals in this movie act, you know, they behave like children. So that makes sense. They can't spell and like, they don't know exactly how, I mean, that's, I think there's actually, uh, something to that as far as like rabbit um you know he he's stuck in it because he doesn't know what to do like he's been taught to be polite and that's all he's been taught you know like he hasn't been taught how to how to navigate an awkward social situation like that so um yeah small detail i noticed in this section was rabbit's got a top hat hanging on his uh on the wall of his house and i wondered if that was like a uh a Easter egg for um, the rabbit from Alice in Wonderland. Oh, uh, maybe yeah, so. But, I, are you Easter egg? Is that the pun there intended? Oh, I no. <laughs> I'm not clever enough to. I just. I mean, that's what they're called, right? Um, yeah. So he. I, I have no idea if that was on purpose or not, or if that was just you know some background detail. But I thought it was kind of funny. Um, my kids love um, the dressing up Pooh's behind once he gets stuck in the, the door as a moose. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if, if Rabbit's going to have to look at Pooh's uh, butt for the next <laughs> six weeks, he may as well, he may as well decorate it. Yeah. So it's a pretty, pretty creative um, problem solving we see from Rabbit there. What do you think of Rabbit as a character? What's his, all of these people are, all these characters are pretty flat, pretty one-dimensional, just because, I mean, that's that's what this movie does. Is his yeah. just that he's grumpy? I guess. he. I feel like he shifts 
also like from one uh, little episode to another. Like I feel like he is much meaner in the let's lose Tigger section than he is here. Oh, but who could blame him? <laughs> <laughs> to me, tell me you don't like Tigger. <laughs> No, I do not like Tigger. To, to oh me, my gosh, Michael, you don't. It, this is this is like adding to your list of of beloved characters that Michael Farmer doesn't like. <laughs> to, to, to to me, Rabbit is the voice of reason. He's the most adult out of all these characters. Owl, I think, thinks of himself as the voice of reason, but really, Rabbit's the one who understands what's going on, even if he's helpless to stop anything from happening. So. I, I know a lot of people don't like Rabbit, but to me, he's a very um, appealing character. Maybe I'm just grumpy like that. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> As evidenced by our long rant on uh, the state of the studios at Disney. <laughs> and, and my hatred of Tigger. <laughs> yeah. So... <clears throat> Yeah, I don't know what to think about him. I don't think I found him appealing as a child. I, don't, I mean, I think I was definitely more on Pooh Bear's side um, at the time, but I, I can't remember that for sure. I don't I don't know. Now I just think, yeah, he is the, I mean, he's the straight man, I guess, you know, so. Well, yeah, I, I, I think he's necessary because th- that first sequence is the first place we see that Pooh can be. Uh, really kind of a selfish jerk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and and I mean, so Rabbit's, there's there's definitely more nobility in Rabbit in the, the amount of generosity that he shows, you know? Like, I, I mean, even right up to the end when Pooh's, like, getting ready to leave and he says, if you're sure you won't have any more. <laughs> 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 like, he just, he, he has to do it, you know? Like, he can't help himself. He has to be generous. There's nothing more to offer, but he continues to offer it anyway. Let that be a lesson to your children. If you, <laughs> if you follow social social norms, you're going to be easy prey for people who don't follow social norms. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this is the introduction that I mean, this is where we're meeting a lot of characters for the first time. You know, mm-hmm. like it's still pretty early in the movie, so we see Owl come up, and Owl's got some great comments um, about. I mean, I just love his language. You know, like it's so it's so far beyond. Uh, yeah, I forget exactly what he says. Something about you know Rabbit's domicile is being blocked, and um, yeah, it's just, it's funny. He's a, he's a bloviator though, right? He's a he's a child's impression of an adult. Yeah. I'm sure that's what everybody thinks about me. No, I mean, you don't tell enough stories about your family. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just talking about myself. (laughs) I mean, but that's Owl's whole thing, right? Is like all the... All the stories about his family. Owl is the first uh, middle-aged man who becomes obsessed with genealogy. (laughs) Yeah. Owl would definitely do 23 in May. Oh, for sure. Yeah, definitely. He's got a good one though. Like they uh, they cut it off, you know. Like they cut off all the stories. But he says, you know, his I forget the relation, you know. But this relation that was a barn owl and got uh, fell in love with a pussy cat and ran off into you know sailed across the sea or something. I don't know. I forget exactly what he says. That's a, a poem, <laughs> right? The owl and the pussy cat. Oh, is it? Yeah, oh, I didn't even it's catch a, it. It's it a Victorian a, poem. Illusion. I think it's by okay. Edward Lear. 
Yeah. See, you catch so much more when you're educated. <laughs> I've, I've never read it. <laughs> but I, I, I like that detail because it's it's a, a kind of connecting mythology. Yeah, I th- I, th- I think that's cool. It makes it seem like this is uh, all part of. I know, I I guess again going back to the idea that we're definitely reading a book. I feel like books are really good about that. You know. Most authors are pretty well read, and so they're, you know, they're making those illusions and connections. But it's also the way children play. So I, you know, I'm sure you've noticed this with your children. If they play with uh, kind of branded toys, they don't they don't limit themselves to the universe provided for them by the toys. They mix these universes together. Mm-hmm. So it, it it makes sense to me that Christopher Robin, who probably had the owl and the pussycat read to him as well would bring that into this world yeah that's so fun that's such a fun way to think about that yeah and then of course gopher shows up and it's going to be a big job um what's your what's your feeling about gopher i like him i mean he's i I, there's nobody in this movie that i don't like i think i think they're all they're all fine see to me gopher is two jokes right he has he has the one joke that he whistles when he talks, which is straight out of Mar- uh, of Lady and the Tramp. Yeah, same character, and the, different animals, same character, <laughs> and different voice actors. It must be said because he's um oh is he Spike Jones in Lady and the Tramp? He's he's played by uh, uh, Howard Morris here. But oh it, really? I thought I thought it was the same guy. I didn't I didn't realize that it was. Uh, I'm sure okay. he's doing an impression of Spike Jones's original voice. I think it's yeah. Spike Jones. Maybe it's um, Stan. Stan Freeberg. I think it is Stan Freeberg. It's one of those, um, one of those 1950s novelty singers. Anyway, so the one joke is he whistles when he talks, and he he uh, he. There's that joke about him criticizing Pooh's speech impediment. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other joke, which they which they use like six times in the movie, is that his hole is much deeper than it appears to be, and he falls down it, and there's a long fall before he hits the bottom. Yeah. I do think I think you're right that he's in there one maybe one too many times, you know. Like had he not like he if he doesn't show up to, um, when Pooh's finally getting released, you know, really like finally free from the the hole, like it's no big deal, you know. Like I, I think he pops up maybe just one too many times, or at the very end, he's there at the very end too, like. Which is maybe appropriate because the movie's wrapping up. But when they're bouncing uh, Pooh and Piglet, and then they bounce, like he pops his head up, and then he, but they bounce into him. So you're right. The joke. Although my kids still laughed at that, so it's not it's not one too many for the kids. They enjoyed it. Well, fair enough. I'm not the audience for this movie. I get that. <laughs> I get that. This one is. I mean, it's it's much more of a kids movie than some of the other ones we've seen. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I did enjoy that everything in his lunchbox started with S, so that they could. <laughs> yeah, so, so they, they can, can really emphasize them. the sibilant S. Yeah, yeah. He also calls uh, the rabbit a supercilious scoundrel, <laughs> which is fun. Uh, supercilious is a fun word to say, even if you don't have a speech impediment. Yeah. Oh yes, time for my stoutness exercise. Up. Down, up, when I up, down, touch the ground, it puts me in the mood. Up, down, touch the ground, in the mood, for food. 
I am stout, round, and I have found speaking poundage wise. I improve my appetite when I exercise. Oh, stuff and fluff. That's better. Thank you. Now, where was I? I'm rumbly in my tumbly. Time for something sweet. I am short, fat, and proud of that, and so with all my might. I up, down, up, down to my appetite's delight. Well, I thought the second segment was the best. Winnie the Pooh and the Blustery Day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. This is really nice. The thing that stood out to me this time that I'd not noticed before because I, I've not watched this movie as carefully as when I, you know, try and watch it carefully to prepare for this is the the music when we first see Piglet. Um, it's like the same. It's the same Winnie the Pooh theme, but it's like in different instruments. They almost sound like toy instruments. I'm not sure if they actually are or if it's just something else. But that that jumped out to me at this time. It's really it's it's cute, you know, because he's such a small little animal and like. It's like all the all the it's like the normal. I can't remember which song. I I can't remember if it's the actual like Winnie the Pooh song or if it's a, a different song from this movie. But like, uh, anyway, did you notice that? I I did not. I'll have to go back and watch it. I I like that. Yeah. I like Piglet yeah. a lot. Yeah, Piglet's fun. He is my wife's favorite character, maybe in the whole Disney canon. Wow. Yeah, that's high praise. He's definitely the hero of this movie. Yeah, well, you see, I mean, you talk about gentle. There's nobody more gentle than Piglet. Yeah. And he gets turned into a kite, which, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> he gets the first, the so there's a repeated line where, you know, Pooh says it to Piglet here of, um, you know, where are you going? And, and Piglet says, I was asking myself the same question. And he says, well, when do you think you're going to answer yourself? And then Piglet re- repeats it back to Pooh later, you know, when do you think you'll answer yourself? But it's cute in both instances. Piglet's getting swept away by a leaf. <laughs> yeah, because he's, he's, that's great. how small he is. We should yeah. say Piglet is is played by the wonderful character actor John Fiedler, who I, I think probably everybody knows best as the voice of Piglet. Um, but is also Mr. Peterson on the Bob Newhart show. Have you ever seen that? I have not, no. He's this little henpecked man. I mean, he talks like Piglet because that's John Fiedler's voice, but it turns out he was a Green Beret. (laughs) 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 So every third or fourth episode he's in, he gets really mad at somebody and threatens to kill them. he's, he's, He's really great on that show, just like he's really great here, and I assume he's really great in everything else he does. Yeah. I've always thought that Jordan Peterson sounds like uh, John Fiedler. <laughs> which which might make which might make his lectures more fun if you imagine Piglet saying them. I'm, I don't know if I'm going to be able to ever uh, listen to him and not imagine that again in the future. So. Do you imagine Thank him you. getting blown away by a leaf <laughs> on a Wednesday? Yeah, Wednesday is such a nice thing. I, I really like it. Yeah, that's 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 one of the uh, that's one of the places where the cuteness of this movie pays off. Yeah. I also love the word blustery. 
which I, I I don't know that anybody associates that word with anything other than Winnie the Pooh. But what a wonderful word! I I actually have an article that came out in Touchstone a few years ago, where I, t- I was walking around in the spring in Minnesota, which is very windy and very cold, and uh, I was kind of miserable. And then I I thought of the word blustery, and all of a sudden it became this kind of enchanted world. So uh, maybe that's the maybe that's the source of my. Um, Maybe that's the source of my affection for the second short, that that uh, the, that word blustery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really. I I just I love it because they actually do they actually play with it a little bit because Gopher first shows up at the beginning of this one and he says I'd go home you know or I'd skedaddle or whatever you know it's it's gonna it's Wednesday and Pooh immediately takes that and does exactly what you just said you know like oh I'm gonna go greet all my friends and wish wish them a happy wednesday you know um so yeah turning that turning that boy isn't this miserable and i I should go hunker down somewhere into a uh uh let's turn it into a holiday you know like i feel like that's the that's the magic of the hundred acre woods is every day is a holiday every day is a holiday of some kind you know the the movie feels very much to me like being home on summer break when you're a kid Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, I think it's summed up really well in that last in that last little bit when uh, you know Robin's talking about doing nothing, and and he says, I think Pooh Bear says, you know, what's that? And he says, you know, when adults say, what are you gonna do? And you say nothing, and then you go do it. <laughs> <laughs> but again, it's clearly not nothing, right? Because the the idea is this this whole movie has been his imagination. He's been doing quite a bit, actually. Yeah, yeah, it's just. Uh, it's 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 not anything that you can particularly name you know so yeah so of course Pooh and piglet go flying through the hundred acre wood um as you know piglet piglet drags Pooh along um they harvest rabbit's field for him um they see we see kangaroo for basically the first time just in a a passing glance and then uh we end up with owl and the the kind of the other big touchstone moment or plot of the moment in the movie happens when when Owl's house gets gets blown down and uh and then we see Eeyore um set out on his noble quest to to find a new house for Owl. That's all in this in this short. Yeah, it's nice or, to see Eeyore get something to do besides being sad. Yeah, I kind of forget that he does this um, until I watch this movie. You know, I think because in the in you know there's there's a ton of books and stuff, not the source material books, but just a ton of like Disney Winnie the Pooh, Hundred Acre Wood stuff. You know, and I feel like in all those stories, he doesn't he doesn't really do much except for build houses that get knocked down and you know. Uh, have a birthday party and everybody's trying to cheer him up, you know, like it's, it's, there's, there's a noble side to Eeyore in this movie that I feel like is lacking in some of the extra material. So I always really liked this part in my head. The thing that I really liked about this was there's the map at the beginning of of the hundred acre wood and i always wanted another map with you know the new the things that changed you know like Mm. with with uh with owl's house on the you know 
flipped down and and piglet's house having become owl's house and uh piglet living with Pooh now like i, I always wanted the uh, the updated version of the hundred acre wood map yeah that's interesting that things don't kind of reset at the end of the short do they like things have mm-hmm. things have actually changed because oh for good presumably although in the third short it doesn't seem like piglet is still living with Pooh. well he's not until the third short right doesn't he move or, oh no i guess oh yeah it's the end of this one. Oh yeah it's at the end of this one yeah, yeah 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 right yeah i guess they're not really at home in the third one but well yeah but Pooh talks about his house and i mean that doesn't mean anything because Pooh is incredibly self-absorbed so <laughs> he probably would continue to call it his house <laughs> yeah you know i say that but i refer to our car as my car even when i'm talking <laughs> to victoria so maybe i'm more like Pooh than i care to admit yeah <laughs> Anyway, the other thing that we should really talk about in this short is the the Heffalump and Woozle scene. Or is, uh, as as you might know it, Pink Elephants on Parade. Yeah, it's very similar. Very, very similar. Were you afraid of this when you were a kid? I don't remember being afraid of it. How did your kids respond to it? Actually, I showed this to them a long time ago because Heffalump and Woozle is another one of those songs that's like stuck in your head all the time. You know, like it's a real earworm of a song. And so um, I think I was singing it around the house, you know, and they wanted to know what it was or they wanted to watch that part again or something. And so, you know, I just found it on YouTube. And so we've actually watched Heffalumps and Woozles much more than we've ever watched the whole movie. And so, yeah, they're not there's no there's nothing frightening about it for them. Although I can the, the see Hef- why there would be. The, the Heffalumps and Woozles are interesting because, um, as the song points out, they what they want is to find the thing you most love in the world and destroy it. Yeah. Which is a really dark thing, but also probably what it's like to be a kid. You're, you're just afraid that these things that you, that you love aren't going to last because you feel so uh, helpless in the world. Yeah, it's a good point. The things that are important to children are so you know they're they're so interesting you know (laughs) because they yeah it's exactly what you just said like a small toy can mean everything um even though you know from anybody else's perspective it's like why you know and and then you see it in their social interactions because they'll get into huge fights over stuff (laughs) and it's like why why you know like why are you fighting over this thing that actually both of you are going to drop and forget in you know a minute's time once you have it but for that moment it's, it's just incredibly important and it's don't don't take the thing that i have don't play with the toy that i want to play with yeah, and and I mean, yeah. Another another thing that's interesting to me about that sequence is that Pooh knows that Tigger's full of it. Like when when Tigger talks about heffalumps and woozles, Pooh knows that he means elephants and weasels, and yet he's still afraid of it. Yeah, because he's not. There's like an element of doubt or something, right? Like he doesn't trust himself. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, I don't know. He's credulous. Yeah, which again feels like feels like being a kid to me. Kids believe the things you tell them, even if the things you tell them aren't true. Yeah, that's a big part. Uh, I, I talk to my nieces you. like they're adults, which is to say that I um, am really sarcastic and I, I tease them and say things that are clearly not true. And my my niece Eliza, uh, when she was five or six, just started every time I said anything, she would just look at my mother to see if I was telling the truth or not. 
<laughs> I like that. I like that she got another, like she found an ally. <laughs> Which, I mean, is, is kind of what happens here, too, because they're always trying to go to Christopher Robin to solve their problems. Mm-hmm. The way you yeah, imagine Christopher... Christopher Robin would go to his parents. Yeah. Yeah, Christopher Robin is not the adult, but kind of the adult in all of these stories, right? Like, he's the one who, who has the resources and knows knows what to do. Which it makes, I guess makes sense. Like, he's the hero of his own stories. So, that makes sense. We skipped over the introduction of Tigger. I like... So, this is the thing I like about Tigger. I don't know if I'm going to convince you over to my side, but I feel like Tigger's a nice balance of, like, he's clearly a little kid uh, with a, with way too much energy, but he's also got the the feline aspects of him as well. You know, <laughs> like uh, when he startles himself in the mirror, like <laughs> I don't know, it just seems very much like something that uh, actual kitten would do. You know, yeah, but it's fun to watch a cat see itself in the mirror for the first time, and and eventually they just kind of make peace with it. My cat Dottie lays in front of the mirror and licks it. And I, th- I think she thinks she's bathing the other cat that she sees. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I definitely. I mean, I think cats are one of the animals that don't have uh, image mirror sense recognition. Or whatever. Almost yeah, no mirror animals do. There's there's just a few dolphins and elephants and ravens, magpies, not ravens. There's a few others. Most animals don't, which makes it interesting because nobody in this movie seems to have it either. They all talk yeah. to the reflection <laughs> as if it's another person, and yet they all yeah. have mirrors in their houses. <laughs> that's funny <laughs> I didn't even think about that uh, why would you have a mirror in your house I guess it, it's a nice invitation you know always somebody there well, I, I suspect it's because Christopher Robin has a mirror like that in his bedroom yeah that makes sense because they all have the same mirror don't they it's, it's the, it's the floor link mirror that kind of turns around flips yeah, I think uh, I think rabbits is over a desk or something. I might be wrong on that though. I don't know. Yeah, I sure. could be wrong. Yeah. Anyway, it's it's it is a nice it's a nice touch, and it, there's you know there's the good jokes in there, you know, <laughs> Winnie the Pooh saying that looks like another Tigger to me. <laughs> it's like one of my favorite lines. Does he know? Does he know what? Does he know that there's not another Tigger, and is is he just like torturing Tigger, or does I he? I don't think. <laughs> yeah, what... how much does Winnie Pooh know? Is the is the big question of this movie? Well, I he guess, has a very right? very little brain. Yeah, like how much is he playing rabbit versus how much is he just you know like you said like he's just a kid and he's ignorant of of the social graces that he should be having and you know I mean because he th- he talks to his own reflection so. I don't think he's playing Tigger at this point. <laughs> That'd be a really funny way to watch this movie, though. <laughs> what if Winnie Pooh's actually? He knows Pooh's everything actually... he's doing. Then he yeah, really would be actually... sociopathic. <laughs> and then we get the uh, the rain, rain, rain came down, down, down song, which we already talked about a little bit. It's a really, it's a lovely, lovely little tune. Um, Hundred Acre Woods gets flooded, um, which I think is just really. Hundred Acre Woods is beautiful flooded. <laughs> it looks really nice. But yeah, if only real floods were as much fun <laughs> as the flood in this movie. Right. By the way, did you see that the the woods that is the inspiration for the Hundred Acre Woods caught on fire? Oh, I did not see that. Yeah. Man, what a 2019 thing to happen. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah, it was, it was uh, right around the same time as Notre Dame caught on fire, too. So maybe oh maybe somebody is like going through all the Disney movies and burning stuff down. Oh, my goodness. But I they, hope they not. said everything will be fine. Six months from now, you wouldn't even know there was a fire there. You know, woods catch on fire and repair themselves. Oh, yeah. It's actually a good thing, right? Like, um, yeah, that's the whole uh, – Jared, Jared Diamond has a book about that. I think Collapse, maybe. Um, he talks about the 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 damage that we did when we started trying to prevent natural forest fires. Yeah. And that, that actually, like, some of the the extreme fires that we see are because of are still like, um, what's that called? Like residual effects of of the fact that we tried to prevent fires for so long. It's actually when fires do catch now that they're more they're even more extreme. Well, it's too bad there wasn't a flood to put out the fire, though. Yeah, that is true. With a giant waterfall, I'm not sure what in the East English countryside could provide a waterfall like that, except a child's imagination. You imagine, yeah, the, you imagine him pushing Piglet and Pooh off his bed or something. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you wish he still knew how to play? I do. I really. I. I was hoping that, like, when I had kids, that it would come back to me. But it actually. It. It hasn't. It's. It's a. It's something that's. That's lost, unfortunately. I. I mean, it's not. Not that I don't play with my kids or try to engage with them, but it is not. It's not this. You know. You, I actually you can't remember, really enter that world. You're always a. You're always a stranger to it. Yeah, and I actually kind of remember the point when I started feeling because I have a, I have a brother who's 10 years younger than me. And so I remember even fe- like this point of like losing the ability to pray, to play, like wanting to reenter that with him. Um, but you know, like, I don't, I don't know. There was a, there's, there's a, there's a moment <laughs> I can't, I can't like, like name the moment, you know, but I can remember like feeling like, Oh, I can't, I can't do this, but I was still young, you know, like, I don't know. It was weird. It's weird. Yeah, and, and again, not to belabor the point, but I, I think that's what the end of this movie does so well. Yeah, I I agree. Because, yeah, he asks him to remember him always, you know, like, remember me in this state, because I won't, I won't be that. So. Well, shall we move on to Winnie the Pooh and Tigger 2? Yeah, I guess so. This is the let's lose, let's lose Tigger in the woods. Yeah, and who can blame them? The Tigger is bouncing <laughs> on everybody and singing his stupid song. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna go against you on this one, Michael, because I'm gonna say that this this is actually the the most theologically rich moment in the film. Um, I can't because, wait to hear this. Okay, so here's my idea: is that so you have Rabbit, who's actually um, should be bouncing, but is not. He's like lost something innate to his being as a rabbit. And then you have this, uh, uh, and I think it's important in that, that, that rabbit is actually a rabbit, you know, like he's, he's real. He's not a toy. And then you have a toy come along and is able to, you know, like the, the very thing that rabbit is trying to remove is actually the thing that is most essential to the, um, the functioning of their little wooded society. So like once he, once he loses his ability 
or like he promises not to bounce, which Rabbit's been trying to rid him of, right? Like Rabbit's been trying to rid, rid him of the bouncing. Um, and he, in a moment of desperation, Tigger promises that he would never bounce again. And Rabbit latches onto it in, a, in an extremely harsh way. And, um, and so Tigger's walking off sadly and everybody instantly misses the old Tigger. Like it's immediate. And everyone is sad because Tigger is not the who he's meant to be. Um, then Tigger, uh, you know, Rabbit relents and says, okay, you can bounce again. And then once that happens, it uh, actually reunites them because Tigger says, come on, you start bouncing with me too, old long ears or whatever he calls them, right? And he reintroduces Rabbit to this, the, the thrill and the joy of, of being who you're made to be. He says, you have the feet for it. And he says, I do. I do have the feet for it. So I, I don't know. I think there's something hear about um i don't i don't know i don't know how hard how far to push it but something about like uh you know an outsider coming in and entering this this world and and people rejecting it and then uh realizing the emptiness of 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 that rejection and then there's a redemption when when that person comes back and actually says no that's actually the 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 better and truer way to live so Tigger's the Christ figure, is that what you're arguing? Tigger Tigger brings the kingdom. That's what I'm saying. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Although if Tigger really were Christ, I, I have to say I'd be one of the Pharisees. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's yeah. I think and I I I like the notion that the reason Rabbit doesn't like Tigger is because Rabbit is old and worn out and Tigger can do the things that Rabbit is supposed to do, that Ra- Rabbit is built to do. Um, I, so I, I like that. And, and maybe maybe my dislike of Tigger is like a rejection of childhood. It's, maybe it's my being worn out, but I never liked him even when I was a kid. So uh, maybe <laughs> I was born old. <laughs> I think some people are, so... Yeah, <laughs> uh, I think it is a really nice moment, though. That uh, you know, even the, even without the deep theological uh, ramifications, like the fact that in this movie, um, Rabbit and Tigger reconcile through Rabbit actually joining in the fun. You know, like I just there's something about that that I really like. Like, the, you know, don't don't hate don't. Don't hate, participate. <laughs> yeah, I do like that reading, though. Like, there, there's, there's, there's something here that where Rabbit has lost something essential about himself, and Tigger, whom he hated, teaches him to regain it. I, I think I, I like that a lot. It almost <laughs> makes me want to go watch the short again. I'm not sure. I'm yeah. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I just I I had a little help from Jason. Jason sent something similar, um, but I was I was trying to find is there anything is there anything beyond that last moment in here that uh, that has any sort of depth to it? But I, I I do think that yeah, there's just something there's something fun about about trying to <laughs> trying to sneak Christ figures into these movies even if they're not actually there. So <laughs> I'm glad you like it. That's <laughs> that's fulfilling. <laughs> so um the other great part in this uh in this little sequence is um Pooh chasing his own footprints around the around the bush. 
I just, I, I, I there's something really great about that moment. <laughs> that one and the, uh, so there's two in this one actually. So the, the, they, they follow the, the footprints around the bush, and then Piglet joins them, and he says, "Another creature has joined this creature." I, I don't know. This is, <laughs> it's just something. It's just really fun that he's like, he's picking up on all the right signals except for the main signal right like he is really tracking an animal and he really is like you know uh interpreting like oh there's another set of tracks here now yeah <laughs> matt graining the creator of the simpsons says uh the audience loves a slow thinker <laughs> yeah <laughs> so oh man that's yeah that's that's a great moment and then the um the sand pit they keep coming back to the sand pit in this one and when they're trying to get out and then Pooh's logic of um, maybe we should walk away from the sand pit and then try and get back to the sand pit. Yeah. I like that too. <laughs> kind of insane. <laughs> but yeah, overall I think this is the weakest of the three shorts. Yeah. I don't know what else to say about it. I know um, the, uh, <clears throat> like I said, rabbit, I think I said earlier in the show, rabbit, rabbit's a, I think a, di- a slightly different rabbit in this one. Like he's definitely meaner. Um, the idea of going to lose somebody in the woods is, is pretty. I mean, that's like the wicked, uh, the wicked stepmother in Hansel and Gretel, like level of uh, level of evil. That he it's also how people in. used to get rid of pets they didn't want anymore. Oh, that's true. So maybe that's like playing into this. I'm yeah. not sure if people still do that. I imagine. The the uh, well documented idolatry of dogs in Western society keeps people from doing that nowadays. Yeah. Although there's a lot of strays in <laughs> around, in, and you know, like sometimes you can tell, like, oh, that that was a that was somebody's animal, <laughs> you know, at one point. So uh, I don't know if that's true as much there, but. The other day, there was a dog. It, it it looks so nasty, but it was clearly like used to be a, um, you know, like a nice dog, like a nice looking dog. It was it was kind of sad, sad to see. Um. Anyway, the uh, I was gonna say something else about that about the getting lost in the woods. Oh, the the protest meeting is pretty hilarious. <laughs> There's the the protest meeting at Rabbit's house and Piglet's pretty much into it. Like he's going to go along with whatever Rabbit says. And Pooh Bear, for whatever reason, is just sleeping through this entire meeting. And he's well, got the know, great... Because that's who he is. Yeah. <laughs> but why even show up to the protest meeting if you're just going to sleep through it? <laughs> protest seems like there'd be some energy involved. I like when he says, uh, I got some fluff stuck in my ear, so I, would, I didn't hear all that you said. Can you just repeat it? <laughs> and Rabbit says, when should I start? And he says, from the moment the fluff got stuck in my ear. <laughs> well, that's that's more of his <laughs> self-centeredness, right? He just yeah. can't, he can't fathom that everybody else doesn't experience the world exactly as he does. Yeah. Which, again, that's also very childlike. There's that... Uh, um, there's the the uh, experiment with kids where, um, like, you'll, you'll have a kid and a mother in the room together, and you'll hide an object, and then the mother will leave the room, and you'll move the object, 
and then you'll ask the kid um, when mom comes back in, where she's gonna, where is she gonna look for this object? And they'll say, well, like so, for example, like say you had it under the bed, and then you move it into a drawer, and you say, where's the, where's the, the mom gonna look for the object? And any of us would say, well, of course she's gonna look under the bed, but at a, at a certain age of kid, they'll still say, well, she'll look in the drawer. <laughs> You know, because because they, they just can't fathom that she wasn't there. They can't. Yeah, I mean the, the well, they like they know she wasn't there, but it's that like everybody, the perceptions that I'm having are the same perceptions that everybody has. You know. That's interesting. So, yeah, I can't remember what the age. I mean, it's pretty young that the age flip happens. You know, like uh, I don't know. I I don't want to misspeak, but it's probably like three or two and a half or something. But it's it's old enough that the kid can still talk or at least point communicate. You know, like it's old enough that the kid can communicate. Like, you know, you can ask the question like, "Where's mom going to look for the toy?" and the kid can answer. So it's at least old enough for that. But it's kind of interesting. But Pooh's not there. No, Pooh's not there. Which is better. It's it's much better to think of. I I don't like the idea of, of him knowing everything. I think that makes a much much darker and stranger movie. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with the innocent child like Pooh. He's self centered because, uh, in his understanding of the world, that's he is the center. You know, we're all we're all kind of born that way. So that's fine. There's an innocence to it. It is an innocent movie. Like, gentle, I think, is probably the best word to use to describe the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh. Yeah. Everything will just kind of float down. Well, anything else to say about it? I think uh, I think that, that's about it. I um somebody I had a, a friend that visited uh, the other day and uh, she didn't realize that we had that I had a podcast and so like it came up you know like uh, um and then she was real excited about it and she was asking about it <laughs> and I said yeah we're talking about all the Disney movies usually for longer than the movies <laughs> so that's true I think I think we've accomplished that tonight <laughs> to be fair they're short uh, they're short movies. <laughs> I don't know if that makes it better or worse. <laughs> yeah, next next time's going to be basically the same length, The Rescuers. Yeah. I have not seen that one in a really long time, so um, it'll it'll basically be, I think, like watching it for the first time for me. <laughs> like, it's been that long. Like, I don't really remember it, so. Well, I love Bob Newhart, and Bob Newhart is the, the male lead in The Rescuers, so uh, hopefully it holds up. I haven't seen it in a while either. Well, we can't stand uh, around lollygagging all day. Got a tight schedule. <laughs> so, uh, Michael and I know there are a great number of podcasts out there you could be spending your time on. So, thank you for choosing us. We also want to encourage you to set your podcast player dials to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, where you'll find an abum- abundance of both new and old shows. Our press liaison is Christian Philippic, and we're on the old interwebs um, at beforetheywere.live. I have high hopes for uh, these summer months. <laughs> that website will actually be updated, um, but it has not been any time recently. My life has been too crazy for it. Um, please help us continue the conversation by finding us on Twitter. I'm at the underscore alt, and Michael is at Michael Farmer. So for Michael Farmer, I'm Josh Altman for saying TTFN. Ta-ta for now. <laughs>